0: My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Lindy Greer is an award-winning professor at the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and is a world-renowned thought leader on how to create high-performing teams. Her work has been covered in top media outlets including the New York Times, Forbes, and Fast Company and she has served as associate editor on six of the top management and psychology journals. Lindy also advises startups and publicly traded companies and she regularly coaches C-suite teams all over the world designing leadership development programs for some of the world's most influential companies. Lindy received her undergraduate degree from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania and her PhD in social and organizational psychology from Leiden University in the Netherlands. I hope you enjoy learning from Lindy Greer, because I always do. Lindy, it's, it's so great to chat with you today. Although we hadn't met until today, I cited your research in one of my recent publications uh, where we were talking about how group members may perceive that they're in a zero-sum status competition with other group members. So I've known of you and your work for a while now, so it's great to be able to talk with you today.
1: Likewise, it's a pleasure to connect. I'm a big fan of KU, so I'm happy to connect today, and I want to know more about that research. That sounds interesting.
0: Yeah, so this was uh, this was some research on amplification, where uh, it, it stemmed from this project where some female, female Obama staffers felt like they uh, weren't being listened to, and so they tried to amplify one another and felt like that increased their status. And so we uh, empirically tested that to see if that indeed was the case, because as a group member, you you know, you only have limited opportunities to speak. And so, you know, do you use that time to shine a light on yourself or shine a light on others? Uh, So we did find that shining a light on others helps the other, but it actually also helps you as well. So Mm -hmm. we can go into more detail later. Um, But yeah, cool to hear about your connection to KU, uh, where I'm currently at. Um, as, as you think back on your research career, uh, are there two to three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons you've learned that you'd most like to pass on to others? Sure.
1: Yeah. The area that I would love to geek out in a little bit is just power structures and teams. You know, when I was doing my dissertation way back in the day, I also love diversity and inclusion. And I love that research you're working on, but I was trying to do a training on inclusion before we knew what it was in a bank of the Netherlands and everybody in my training, especially the higher up they were on the company, they kept fighting over things like the whiteboard and who was gonna talk when, and the meetings that they couldn't do my really simple training on inclusion. And so I went back to the literature at that point, like what do we know about sort of power and teams and power structures? And Adam Galinsky, of course, was publishing a gazillion papers a day, linking power at the individual level to everything under the sun, that if you are more powerful, you're more goal oriented, you're more creative, you have better executive functioning. And there's a small literature on top management teams at that point, but no one's really sort of understanding what does it power mean for a team? Does a team with a lot of high power people perform better or worse than a lot of low power people? What if we have power differences within a team? And so that's been kind of my 20 year quest now. I'm feeling pretty old to understand, okay, what does power mean for teams? How, do, how is it structured and how do you manage it? And the two sort of key buckets of insights in that area that I would love to geek out on further would be one, so how do you design power structures in teams and then the second then is how do you lead it? And within the idea of how do you structure power in team, my research tends to find is that the more power is salient because of the structure, the worse things go, the more people fight. It could be salient because there's too many chefs in the kitchen, but there's too many high power people. Um, my dissertation ended up showing this in a set of lab and field studies and I also do a lot of C-suite coaching right now. And it's pretty inevitable that once you get a lot of leaders in a room who all have power, there is just more ego, goal orientation, power at play and people fight more. So to the extent that you have the ability, of course, it's easier to work with a clear leader and everybody else at a second level. If you are in a high power team, what we do find then is very clear role differentiation, to reduce the social comparisons is really helpful. That aspect beyond just like the power level or the mean in the team that matters a lot is the hierarchy or the distribution or deviation of members. Is it better or worse to have everybody at the same level or to have a hierarchy of people at different levels? I was living in the Netherlands when the the research is starting to come out on social psychology, that hierarchy is great. It makes us comfortable, we love it. And I was living in the Netherlands at the time, which is one of the lowest power distance countries in the world, they hate hierarchy. Whole culture is built about how do we get rid of hierarchy? So I was looking at that research going, huh, like how does this reconcile with my lived experience here? You know, and noticing a few things, a lot of that research was individual level outcomes. You know, and similar to sort of what I was finding about the mean level of power, that power for one person is great, power for many people is bad. I was kind of curious for hierarchy too, you know, that maybe hierarchy can make someone feel comfortable, but does the team really perform better because of it? So I did a couple of papers myself on this, did a meta-analysis a few years ago with some amazing co-authors. We ended up finding that the, the net main effect of hierarchy on performance was negative, but it was a small effect, of course, and clearly moderated. Um, It was the worst in situations where the hierarchy was more likely to exacerbate again that perception of power. So since fall, we've been looking at what types of hierarchies, what structures are more likely to make that hierarchy more hierarchical, if you will, more oppressive. What we find is that when there's more ranks within a hierarchy, so a ladder-shaped hierarchy, imagine a sales organization or a research paper that has a full professor, associate assistant, postdoc, and PhD student. When there's more ranks, the more people socially compare and fight. What is more of a triangle shaped hierarchy where you have one clear leader and everybody else is at relatively an equal level. People tend to perform better. You have someone to give clear directions, see the bigger picture, and they perform even better than a team that's entirely equal. And so that triangle shape tends to be the best shape for a team. And instead of other studies I did too, we find that when that bottom layer is horizontally differentiated, it also then becomes closer to the perfect team structure. Clear leader, everybody else at a second layer, everybody with horizontally different functions, tends to be the highest performing team. One of the things that we looked at a little bit in data was what about the distance between that leader at the top of the hierarchy and everybody else? Does that matter? Did it find great data? Um, and I was curious in general about like, how does one do hierarchies effectively beyond just a structure? And so I met a Navy SEAL was asking, like, how do you all do hierarchy? Like, what does it look like in a Navy SEAL team? And he had this great story over when they're on a mission, clear chain of command. The leader says, get out now. You move. Same team, then when they go back to, de- to debrief, they literally take the stripes off at the door to the debrief room. They leave the hierarchy behind. They flatten out. And everybody feels really equal because it could be the youngest person on the team saw a sniper no one else saw. So they're able then to smush the hierarchy down for that meeting, share information, make a decision, and go back out the door to follow the hierarchy. And so the thing in that that I was fascinated by, and this gets into my second big area beyond structuring hierarchy, how to lead hierarchy, is it's not necessarily the structural distance that matters so much, but how the leader enacts distance flexibly. And so this idea of hierarchical flexing, of can a leader know when to pull rank and have a team be hierarchical, or when to flatten it out, make sure that everybody's at the same level and have people have the ability to speak up. We did a qualitative study of startup teams. We found about a third of the ones that we saw had leaders who could flex the team, where the teams as they went through different types of tasks be more hierarchical for execution, flatten out for a good discussion, go back into hierarchy again for execution mode. The leaders could flex the team. And so the psychological experience of hierarchy wasn't always hierarchical. The leader could have a team with that same structure. Sometimes feel hierarchical, and sometimes feel flat. Together with Frangino and Bob Sutton, we have the HBR coming out in March on the cover of the HBR okay. um, on this idea of the power shifting. You know, and that good teams have two gears when it comes to hierarchy, so they can sh- shift very flexibly back and forth. If you really want to geek out further, you can get into all the sub mechanics of it. Of like, well, who's moving? And part of it is the leader making themselves smaller. It's like in the qualitative study, you see leaders who go to the back of the room to make it easier for people to speak up. You also can think of sort of the whack of whack-a-mole for status within the team of, hey, you're talking too much, you're not talking enough. You know, this is why I thought your research was interesting too. of then how do I really manage the dynamics in the room to truly have what we call that burst of flatness? We tend to find that people stay stuck in hierarchy longer and it's actually a lot harder to flatten out than it is for the hierarchy to pop back because hierarchy from evolution is just ubiquitous. And a teams that can really have that good 20 minute burst of flatness, Again, it's the leader, they're managing their own power to get themselves down, but also managing everybody else in the room to give them an equal playing field. So the two main buckets I'd want to share people with today is structure your team well, have a clear leader and try to keep everybody else to the extent that you can at a relatively similar rank with clear horizontal differences. And then make sure that leader is capable of flexing the distance. Then so they know when to stand up and lead from the front, be big, But they also know when to go from the back of the room empower others and be flat
0: so really interesting lessons lindy um lots of thoughts i'll I'll try to keep mine brief i I was working on a project uh, several years ago with jennifer overbeck and maggie neal where we're looking at uh hierarchy and well complementarity uh how if i'm really dominant then how does somebody feel if if they're submissive? Because this idea that hierarchy is comfortable and we were testing the cortisol levels. Unfortunately, we didn't find anything, but this was my first exposure to um, this idea of hierarchy being comfortable, but also it's like a trade-off, right? And we use the example of Zappos. At that time, Zappos had just tried to totally flatten their organization and it didn't go well for them. In that instance, sounds like they needed... Uh, more of the triangle, right, rather than just the the completely flat structure. Uh, I was just thinking of NBA basketball teams. I'm a big NBA fan, and it's like so many stars can only stay on a team for so long, and uh, you know, there's lots of reasons for that, and and certainly, you know, trying to cash in your value is part of it. But you could also make a good case that many of these stars, if they stay together, maybe they would increase their value. But it feels like. You know, so much of this is is too many cooks in the kitchen, right, where um, people want you've got too many people competing for this leadership role. And so my mind immediately goes to like, OK, well, the Chicago Bulls had Michael Jordan, the clear leader, and then Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and others at, at the flat. But so interesting. What a great way to think about this, that uh, the triangle structure is most likely to lead to the most effective outcome in, in terms of managing hierarchy.
1: And then it's only sustainable if that leader then is able to have the tip of the triangle flatten out to be one flat line and then pop up again. So and that's the part I, that I'm just obsessed with right now. It's like how do leaders do that? How do they, you know, have the triangle, you know, in the background as a structure but then have that lived experience it teams be a little bit more flexible.
0: Yeah, so I teach leadership. And one of the things that, one of the first questions I ask is, should you treat everyone the same? And most people get the answer, right? The answer is no, you should not treat everyone the same. Uh, you should treat people differently because people are different. But what I've never thought about is should I treat the same people the same all the time (laughs) or should it? And and your answer suggests, no, like we need to be flexing. And so that's the, so you're geeking out on this. And I'd love to (laughs) more as you learn more, like, how do we do that? And when do we do that? How do we do that effectively? What a great way to think about hierarchy and managing that hierarchy.
1: Especially when you have that intersection, like a diverse team, right? Like building on the research you were working on as well. You know, if someone is speaking too much in the room and not giving enough space for others, how does one do that exactly? Because all of us have probably been in that real-life situation where, like, you know it's a problem. Like, what do you say? Like, what do you do? I feel like there's a lot more room for research getting into these micro-behaviors, if you will, of the status management. You know, of how do we manage how others give us space and how much space we give to others within team meetings.
0: Yeah, well, such interesting questions, and I look forward to following your research over the coming years as you and others continue to investigate this. I want to be sensitive to your time. I appreciate you sharing these lessons with me. I look forward to sharing them with others, teaching them in my leadership class and ethics class, and then, again, just following this line of research. So uh, thank you so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed learning from you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickels and Dimes. Lindy Greer has been asking and answering interesting questions about hierarchy in teams for decades, and I love the lessons she shared today about the optimal power structure in teams. First, the triangle structure beats the ladder structure. Teams perform best when there is a clear leader, and everyone else on the team is at a relatively flat hierarchical rank. This is in contrast to the ladder hierarchy, where everyone on the team is at a different hierarchical level, or even the inverted triangle, where there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Second, the best leaders are able to flex, occasionally flatten the hierarchy for specific tasks or times, but then pop back to the top of the hierarchy. For example, in the military and on the battlefield, there is a clear hierarchy. However, when teams debrief, they leave their ranks at the door. They flatten the hierarchy to encourage everyone to share information but as they walk back out the door, they pop back to the hierarchical structure. In summary, when it comes to structuring power in teams, the triangle structure beats the ladder structure, and the best leaders occasionally flatten the triangle, but then pop back to the top. Both simple ideas, please take them seriously. Nate Mickle here with three quick requests. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's notes at NateMickle.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. And finally, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Thank you for all of your support.